Welcome to the Perspectives on Healthcare podcast, where members of the medical community from different roles, venues, and locations share their unique perspectives on quality healthcare, its future, and how to improve it. Now, from the Your Keynote Speaker Studio in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, here is your host, Rob Oliver. Thank you and welcome to Perspectives on Healthcare. Today is World Stroke Day, and I, in honor of that, I am joined by Steve Hetz. He is a doctor from out in California. He is a member of Generation X. He is, I believe the proper term is an interventional neuroradiologist. And how close am I to getting it right, Dr. Steve? That was perfect. Excellent. Well, with that being said, I'm going to welcome you Thanks for joining me on the podcast. Thank you so much, Rob. I really appreciate being here. You bet. So tell me a little bit about yourself and your role in healthcare, please. Sure. As you said, I am an interventional neuroradiologist. And so I'm a doctor who diagnoses and treats people who are having problems with the blood vessels in their brain or their spine. And so one of the most significant conditions that I and my colleagues treat uh, is stroke. And so that's why it's particularly great to be able to talk with you here on World Stroke Day. Okay. So is this, are you involved mostly after an event happens or is it preventative or kind of where do you fit in with, with patients in, in that role? Yeah. So it can be both. And if we know about somebody who has stroke risk factors like atherosclerosis or an irregular heartbeat such as atrial fibrillation. Uh, sometimes I see people in the office and electively do procedures to help prevent strokes. But the bulk of my involvement in stroke is during an actual emergency stroke event. And so I'm sort of like the, the firefighter in the firehouse, if you will, and somebody having a stroke a particularly severe kind of stroke called an emergent large vessel occlusion or ELVO stroke is brought into me in my comprehensive stroke center, my level one stroke center hospital. And I and my team very quickly uh, get access into the blood vessels, take catheters up through the blood vessels and remove blood clots from the brain to restore blood flow to somebody right in that emergency setting of them having a stroke so that they can have the best chance at a good outcome. Okay. And I think since it is World Stroke Day, let's let's talk two things. Number one, how do you how do you identify someone who has had a stroke and what are what are the first steps that need to be taken when you can when you think somebody might have had a stroke or when you can tell that someone definitely has? Great question. So Unlike heart attacks, where almost everyone realizes, gee, if I have crushing chest pain, I should go right into the hospital right away. Sometimes stroke symptoms can be a little bit more confusing, both for the person having the stroke and for someone near them who could recognize the symptoms. And so I like to use the acronym BFAST, B-E-F-A-S-T. And so the B stands for balance, so someone may become acutely unbalanced. E stands for eye, and so if they have an abrupt change in their vision or blindness, for example. Uh, F stands for face, so if their face droops on one side. A stands for arm, and so if their arm becomes weak on one side. Uh, S stands for speech, uh, and so if their speech is garbled or they can't speak at all, 
those are all signs of stroke. And then the T stands for time. This is a very time critical situation. You should call 911 and go to the hospital right away. Got it. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, in thinking about this as well, are there steps that people can take in stroke prevention? I, are there certain are there certain elements that say these are things that put you at a higher risk, and these are steps that you can take to try and you know mitigate the risk for stroke? For many kinds of strokes, the answer is yes. And so regular health maintenance to make sure that you have not developed an irregular heartbeat, like atrial fibrillation, is important. So seeing your primary care uh, provider or doctor on a regular basis for screening is important. Also, uh, atherosclerosis in the United States or hardening of the arteries is a common cause for stroke. And so controlling risk factors like high blood pressure, uh, elevated cholesterol, uh, smoking, use of methamphetamine or cocaine, all of these are things that can reduce the likelihood that you would develop a stroke. Yeah, thank you. What does quality healthcare mean to you? To me, I think quality healthcare means bringing the right resources to the patient at the right time. And so obviously there are not unlimited resources in healthcare, uh, but being able to direct the appropriate level of care to the patient at the right time is really important. And I think stroke is a good example of that. We need to be better organized in stroke care for triage. And so I work at what we would call a level one stroke center or a comprehensive stroke center. And so we have the complete uh, array of specialists who can treat blockages of blood vessels in the brain, ruptures of blood vessels in the brain, other conditions that mimic stroke but aren't stroke. And so we can uh, provide treatment within minutes uh, for somebody who's having a severe stroke. And for every minute that is saved in triaging someone with stroke, they actually get about a week of healthy life for every minute saved. So it's incredibly important to come in to a comprehensive stroke center as quickly as possible. But unfortunately, unlike trauma, where there are very discrete national protocols for triaging stroke patients to level one trauma centers right away, that doesn't exist nationally in the United States. It's on a state-by-state -state or even regional basis, like where I am in California. And so uh, working with legislators and public health officials to get more robust systems to rapidly triage people to the right place where they can get treated in the right way to me, that is an example of quality in healthcare. Okay, so you've preemptively hit my uh, my next question, which is uh, to ask for an example. Uh, can you give me an example of quality healthcare? What you're talking about is making sure that people it's timely, and especially with stroke, time is of the essence. Uh, can you talk about anything? Are there ways to deal with stroke that can be beneficial? As, as you said, when people are being triaged, when they're on their way to a trauma center, when they're, when they're you know, at home, are, are there things that can be done to be helpful uh, before they actually arrive at the hospital? Great question. And so one of the really great things about the field of stroke treatment in the last decade is we're learning more and more, and we have more and more opportunities to improve each step from stroke symptoms at home all the way through coming into the hospital and then even into rehabilitation. And so 
because there are two major kinds of strokes, the blood vessel blockage kind of stroke, which is about 800,000 people in the United States every year, and then the ruptured blood vessel kind, which is less than 100,000 per year, um, we can't necessarily do what they do in heart attack and say, oh, you should definitely chew an aspirin or something like that in the field, because if you happen to have the bleeding kind of stroke, that can actually make it worse. Mm. And so one thing that we're able to do in some places now is we actually have ambulances with CT scanners in them, with CAT scanners in them. And a CAT scan can look at inside a patient's head and determine, do you have bleeding or do you not? And so if you do not have bleeding, then we're just getting to the point now where some patients can start to get tissue plasminogen activator or TPA, which is a blood clot busting medication in the ambulance on their way to the comprehensive stroke center that may already start to break down the blood clot that's causing the stroke. But unfortunately, because the symptoms of a blood vessel rupture kind of stroke and a blood vessel blockage kind of stroke overlap, we can't 100% say like, oh, you should definitely do this in your house. That's why it's so important to call 911 and get ingested into the medical system as quickly as possible. Right, so what I'm hearing you say is the, the speed with which treatment is delivered is the key to the whole thing. So I, am I, would I correctly characterize it to say, if you are concerned about someone possibly having a stroke, get on it right away and start the treatment process. And if, if it's not a stroke, okay, that's, it's preventative. And, and if it is, you will have done a great service for them by getting them into the system expeditiously. Is that properly characterizing it? Yeah, exactly. And so if you have any of those BFAST symptoms, just come right in. Call 911, get brought in by ambulance right away. If it turns out to be a big stroke, then folks like me can treat you right away and give you that best chance to have a great outcome. You know, we like to use the uh, arrive to survive and thrive sort of moniker uh, in terms of that. But if it turns out not to be a big stroke, it may be um, a pre uh, basically a premonition of a big stroke, which we call a transient ischemic attack. You could have a very temporary blockage of a blood vessel and the symptoms go away. It's still important to come in really quickly because then we can prescribe you medications or treatments that can help prevent the big stroke in the future. Uh, and then the even smaller category of, well, maybe it turned out to be something else like a seizure, we can obviously then work on what was the cause of the seizure or something like that. So yeah, again, you characterize it exactly right. Come in as quickly as possible and let us sort it out because that's the best way for you to have a best outcome. Okay. What do you wish people understood about your role in healthcare? Yeah, I think as we've alluded to already, it's just that it very much depends on the people, the patients themselves. Uh, you know, we can't offer diagnosis or treatment unless you come in. And so it's tremendously important, uh, not only in the acute situation uh, of following that BFAST moniker and coming in right away, um, but also keeping up with your preventative health care uh, and making sure you haven't developed an irregular heartbeat or you haven't developed, you know, uncontrolled high blood pressure. Uh, and to stop smoking and to not do cocaine and methamphetamine and things like this, which contribute to the likelihood of you having a stroke. So it really is a partnership between patients and providers uh, in order to get the best healthcare outcomes. Can you talk about that? I, I, you said 
just now, it's a partnership between patients and providers. Can you talk about just that concept and how you build those relationships and make it a true partnership? Yeah, and so even though we've been talking about emergency stroke treatment, uh, I obviously see patients who are not emergently having a stroke. I see some patients who have risk factors for stroke or they have a narrowing in say the carotid artery in the neck that may put them at risk for stroke. And so we can treat those things preventively and reduce their stroke risk. Uh, or we can give them blood thinning medications if they have an irregular heartbeat to lower the likelihood that they're gonna have a stroke later. Uh, or for the bleeding kinds of stroke, we can preventively treat brain aneurysms or blood vessel malformations in the brain so that they don't bleed and cause these problems in the future. And we always in medicine prefer to know about these things ahead of time if we can and to do prevention because it really is true you know an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure yep so the advancements that are being made when it comes to stroke treatment i, I would imagine are fairly amazing i mean just the the concept of an interventional neuroradiologist like holy smokes it it's a mouthful to say and it's is it is it a relatively new field or is it uh, something that's been around and kind of under a, under a different name for a while? Yeah, great question. And so I've been fortunate in that I've gotten to see the emergence of this field. It is a very new field. It was really started in the 1980s and has grown tremendously in the last decade. And I had the privilege of even when I was in college, I got to work a summer here at UC San Francisco with some of the original people who developed this field of being able to go through the blood vessels and treat blood vessels in the brain through an access site in the wrist or in the thigh, which was pretty amazing. And really the thing that made the field explode, there were two things. One was in the 1980s and 90s. We learned how to treat brain aneurysms and these bleeding sorts of strokes. And then in the last about 15 years is being able to quickly go up and remove blood clots from blood vessels in the brain to treat these emergent large vessel occlusion, big bad strokes and get tremendously good outcomes for a lot of people. Because when I started in this field 15 years ago, if somebody came in with a big uh, blood clot stroke, we expected failure in our treatments. We just didn't have the tools to be able to get those blood clots out. Now we have special catheters uh, and special devices that can grab clots inside the blood vessel safely so that now we go into a stroke cases and we expect success, that we will get that blood clot out. Uh, but beyond just getting the blood clot out, the th way that patients can help us do that is coming in as quickly as possible. Because as you can imagine, 2 million brain cells die for every minute of lack of blood flow. Mm -hmm. And so every minute of delay, I think as we talked about in getting treated, translates to a week of healthy life uh, after your stroke. Got it. I, not to be trite about it, but you have 2 million brain cells that die. And for a little while, the rest of them seem to go to the funeral and be in mourning. So um, there's a slow recovery process with that. I, my apologies. My sense of humor is quite lousy. Um, anyway, what excites you about the future of healthcare? Yeah, I think stroke is a great example of that. There are so many ways that healthcare can be improved. Uh, and particularly in the United States, I think that the example of being able to have better 
uh, information in the field. So wearables, for example, at home that might help people realize, oh, I am having a stroke and can signal 911 to come efficiently. You know, having technology and ambulances so we can start the treatment earlier, um, having better tools to treat strokes. We're really getting excited about uh, robotic stroke treatment too. And so folks like me are not in every hospital around the country. It mm -hmm. takes a lot of training to do what I do. And we're just now starting to partner with robotics companies to develop devices that could maybe do this even in small community hospitals very far from comprehensive stroke centers. It's just at the beginning of this process, but you know, my dream is that no matter where you live in the United States and eventually the world, you should have access to really top quality stroke care. And it's a meaningful difference. If you live, you know, 200 miles from a stroke center, it takes a long time to come in and those brain cells are dying every minute. If you live at least near a small community hospital that has more basic equipment and a robot that I or somebody like me can control uh, remotely, then maybe we can actually provide that great quality of care close to your home. And that's going to give you a much better outcome. And so that's obviously requires a heavy lift in terms of technology and lagless internet connectivity. You can't have the robot go down during a procedure, for example, uh, and also training other providers to help with these sorts of procedures. Um, but I think the thing that excites me about healthcare is these are all achievable things that we can do in the next few years that really are going to have an impact. Um, you know, what amazes me about stroke care, there's a concept in medicine called the number needed to treat. And so that indicates like how effective is a treatment for a condition. And so it may take, you know, 10 patients that you treat for um, a certain kind of heart attack to make sure one definitely gets better. Like most of them will be somewhat better, but one will be markedly better. The number needed to treat for this emergent large vessel occlusion stroke is two. So it's tremendously powerful. Uh, in the last decade, there've been a lot of papers in the New England Journal of Medicine and other big um, medical journals just showing how effective this treatment is. And it's really Probably the most remarkable change during my career in medicine is this ability to treat strokes up front. And now just rolling that out so it's accessible to more people, I think, is the exciting next step. Yeah, it's so interesting. Many of the people comment about the future of healthcare and the concept of telehealth. But with yeah. telehealth, it's more of a visual thing. What you're talking about is the opportunity for what I would call remote treatment. And that's a, a unique and a, a new modality that seems to be extremely powerful, especially when you're talking about people who, as you've said, are in, uh, may not be in a place where they have access to uh, a level one stroke treatment center. So great. Um, last question for you. What is one thing medical professionals can start doing today to improve the quality of healthcare? Yeah, and thank you for that question. I think, you know, this interview is an example of that. Again, advocating for appropriate resources to be brought to bear uh, for important public health threats like stroke or uh, conditions like that. And so being able to explain, you know, this is the condition that is out there and how can we better muster resources so that people can get treated quickly and safely and effectively. Um, so that they can ultimately have better outcomes. 
And so I think, you know, all medical professionals are very able to discuss what their particular part of healthcare is. Uh, and, you know, having the opportunity to chat with folks like you and your audience is just tremendously uh, powerful opportunity uh, so that people can realize, yeah, as a country, uh, you know, we can make decisions to provide resources so that we can improve everyone's health. Yeah, it's it's so powerful what you're saying. And that is, there's a healthcare system out there and the system itself can be frustrating. But what you're, um, what you're saying is let's empower medical professionals to say, how do we advocate within the system to make the system work better for the people that we serve? And I think that's a, a very powerful message and a great way to wrap up our interview. Listen, Steve Hatz, thank you so much for joining me. It, for everyone out there, again, it's World Stroke Day. Remember the acronym Be Fast, and it is. Uh, give me your your arrive moniker again. It is. Uh, it would be arrive to survive and thrive. Perfect. Time is of the essence when it comes to stroke. Uh, hey. I appreciate you joining me. I respect you and I appreciate you sharing your perspective on healthcare. Thanks for listening to Perspectives on Healthcare. Visit perspectivesonhealthcare.com to learn more about Rob Oliver or to subscribe so you never miss an episode. If this podcast was valuable, we'd appreciate a review on iTunes. Or if you tell a friend or coworker about the show, that would be helpful too. Join us again next time for more Perspectives on Healthcare.